BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. California has a huge housing shortage. The state says it needs to build nearly two million homes in the next five years. And that's just to keep up with population growth. But we're not building anywhere near enough to reach that goal. One big reason, it's just so expensive to build here. The cost of labor, land, materials, it all keeps going up. And because of that, most of what does get built is way too expensive for most people. To me, that's the, the definition of a broken system. That's Rick Holiday. He's been building homes his entire career. And now he's trying an idea he thinks will make a huge dent in California's great affordable housing shortage. But it's something that's been tried before, and it hasn't always worked. So why does he think it'll work now? I'm Molly Solomon. I'm Erin Baldessari, and this is Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. The city of Vallejo sits across the bay from San Francisco. There's an old factory there that's been around since the 1940s. It's got big windows, high ceilings, tons of light. Oh, well, I, I consider this an industrial cathedral, to be honest with you. Larry Pace runs operations on the ground here. I love the idea that this place was built to supply our Navy and our military. It's where they once built submarines for World War II. Today, they're building housing. It's called Factory OS, and it's part of a new wave of modular housing builders that are popping up in California, the Pacific Northwest, and across the country. Larry likes to play up the factory's wartime history. It's kind of part of his old shtick. This is the new battlefront. The battlefront is for us to, to create less expensive, faster, and better quality affordable homes. And that's what we do here at Factory OS. It works kind of like a car factory. You got a chassis, and then every component goes on it thereafter. We have 33 stations. When you come at the end of 33 stations... But instead of building cars, it's apartments. Workers in hard hats and goggles are stationed along a U-shaped assembly line. They start with big wooden boxes. So right, right now, you're, you're at station number 1A and 1B, and, um, and what you're seeing is this is where the floors of the volumes are built. There's a station where the plumbing goes in and one where they put in the electrical wiring. All the units are done, appliances are installed, paint's all done, front door is done and closed. They do everything, right down to the toilet paper roll. It all gets wrapped in plastic, loaded on a truck for the building site in San Francisco. 
That's where the blocks will get stacked together, like really big Legos, and turned into a six-story building to house formerly homeless people. And it all happens really fast, from the factory floor to finished in a matter of months. Speed is one reason modular housing is making a comeback. It has the potential to cut costs by 20 percent and cut construction time in half compared to a typical project built the traditional way. That's according to research from the University of California, Berkeley's Turner Center. We spoke with Carolina Reed, who's a faculty research advisor there. California is the most expensive state in the country to build affordable housing. And the most expensive place to build in California is right here in the Bay Area. It can cost $600,000 or more to build just one apartment for low-income renters. I think some of those costs are out of our control. It's always going to be expensive to build here, right? It's, we're always going to be paying higher wages. We're always going to be, uh, you know, land is always going to be more scarce here. You've also got permitting fees, project delays, hey, maybe a lawsuit if you're unlucky. It all rolls into a big, scary price tag. Developers like to say that in order to build a project, it has to pencil out. You have to charge enough rent to cover your costs and still make a profit. So as the costs to build go up, rents go up too. And San Francisco is a prime example of that. A two-bedroom apartment goes for $4,500 a month. And it's created a system where a lot of people are forced to spend half of their paycheck on rent. It's not just California. Prices are rising in cities across the country, while incomes are staying flat. And it's why builders are looking for another way. Builders like the guy we heard from earlier, Rick Holiday, who founded Factory OS with Larry Pace. If we don't figure out how to build housing differently, we're not going to have very much housing. It's an industry that has to try to remake itself. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. Rick has had a long career in housing. He started Bridge, one of the nation's top affordable housing developers. And in the 80s, he was building live work lofts in San Francisco. He later started building condos in industrial and low-income neighborhoods in and around Oakland. It was before a lot of other developers, kind of like the early start to gentrification in those areas. But in recent years, Rick became more and more frustrated with high costs and the old way of building. You know, a developer buys the land and hires a contractor to oversee the project and hires a bunch of other subcontractors who each have a specific job. We have a system that is completely antiquated where you, somebody comes to the site and grades the site. Then somebody comes in and digs trenches to put in underground utilities, water and sewer, and then somebody, and it all sequential. So as longer somebody's late, you lose two weeks. If you lose two weeks, you may lose a sub. You lose a sub, then you gotta go to another one. It's way more expensive. You realize there's all these circumstances where if people don't do what they're supposed to in the proper sequence, it throws everything off and it ends up costing more time and more money. And Rick thought, we can't keep going like this. We're gonna to get to a point where it's just not gonna work. And sure enough, that's actually what happened. Coming up on Sold Out, the project that got so bad, it got Rick to launch a whole new business. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. In 2004, Rick started work on a project in Truckee, California. Truckee is a small town in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, just north of Lake Tahoe. Home prices there have gone up as more people from the Bay Area are buying vacation homes or relocating. It's an economy that really needs more workforce housing because a lot of the um, you know, workers there are, are getting pushed out. So Truckee started looking for ways to redevelop its downtown. They brought in Rick to build apartments on an old rail yard. And things did not go smoothly. He spent the next decade fighting to get this one project off the ground. There was the Great Recession, a lawsuit from a nearby business, and a shortage of construction workers. When the housing bubble burst, thousands of construction workers lost their jobs. Many of them just left the industry. That made it really hard to find skilled workers when the market picked back up again. And I said, you know, we're never gonna build anything up here if we don't build it differently. You could just tell that there just wasn't a labor force to do it, and it was getting too expensive, and that was in 2014. That's when Rick learned about a company that was building modular homes at a factory in Sacramento, just a couple hours from Truckee. He tried to hire them to build the Truckee project, but they ended up going out of business. So instead, he called up his old friend Larry, who'd worked as a construction contractor for decades. Rick's pitch? Let's go all in on modular and build it ourselves. He wasn't terribly enthused about it. You know, he said, you know, Rick, I think this is a bunch of crap. He said, it's not going to work. It made sense that Larry was skeptical. Prefabricated housing has a long history. It's come and gone, and it hasn't always worked. So why do people like Rick think it's the big fix that's going to save housing? You know, the story of prefabrication is both a story of imagination and necessity. Ryan Smith teaches design and construction at Washington State University. Prefabrication has been born as a result of society's need for more housing. And he says building a home in a factory dates all the way back to the Industrial Revolution. As soon as you have steam power and factories producing certain goods. I mean, Thomas Edison, goodness, he had a, he had a prototype even. One of the first advertised prefab homes was built by a London carpenter in the 1830s for his son, who was moving to Australia. 
The British Empire took that idea and ran with it as they continued their global conquest, shipping colonists and homes around the world. Really, there weren't a lot of materials in those regions. And so um, taking what they knew and how they, how they knew how to build, they were able to produce in high quantities sheet materials, which was corrugated iron, and then uh, pre-cut kits, so pre-cut wood to the right lengths. And those were not modules or panels. That was just a kit that was bundled. The idea later became popular in America. Most people remember it from Sears and their famous catalog. You could flip through hundreds of pictures of different styles and designs and order the one you liked. For a couple thousand dollars, Sears would ship you a kit with all these little pieces, kind of like a really big IKEA project. Sears sold more than 70,000 homes, but after years of bad business during the Great Depression, the business fizzled out. One of the biggest efforts to mass produce homes came from the U.S. government. In the years after World War II, the country had a problem. Listen to this old documentary from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Part of the problem is people. Not that people aren't nice. Some of them are very nice. But there are so many of them. About 6,000 are born every day in the USA, including Sundays and holidays. That's right, boomers. All those babies being born after the war. Which brings us to the real problem, providing housing for that many new people each year. We just haven't been building that much. Sounds familiar? The idea was to use new technology to help solve that housing shortage. A new way of doing things. A housing breakthrough. And they called it Operation Breakthrough. George Romney, Mitt Romney's father, was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development at the time. Romney had run American Motors in Detroit and figured he could do for housing production what the assembly line did for cars. He bet big on Operation Breakthrough, even predicting that two-thirds of all housing built in America would be factory-made within 10 years. And he initiates a, an effort to reuse World War II shipbuilding factories and tank factories to make housing um, and puts hundreds of millions of dollars into the program. In two years, HUD built 2,700 homes across the country. But some of those homes had problems. There were leaks and rust, and a lot of them started to fall apart. Operation Breakthrough was largely seen as an expensive failure. That program was squashed, funding was pulled, and unfortunately it folded. The quality of modular has improved a lot since the 1970s, and that could help it succeed where Operation Breakthrough failed. Ryan says modular today is even better than what you can build on a regular construction site. Research shows that the quality of the products coming out of factories is much higher. So the dream of Operation Breakthrough was to house a lot of people at a low cost. And it's the same dream that people have for modular housing today. And a lot of that excitement is coming from Silicon Valley, the epicenter of innovation and a crippling housing crisis. So this place is pretty solid in terms of creating big inspirational change agents for the country and sometimes for the world. So why not for housing? You know what I mean? We made the biggest mess. Coming up on Sold Out. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of people blame the growth of the tech industry for the Bay Area's high housing costs. Big salaries at these companies have prompted home prices and rents to skyrocket. It's pushed out a lot of people and made life really hard for those who've stayed. It's gotten so bad that even their own employees can't afford to buy homes here. So companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, they pledge billions to help address the crisis. And it's really too soon to tell whether all of that money is going to have an impact. Because when you're talking about housing in the Bay Area, even $5 billion, it doesn't go very far. But tech companies think modular should be part of the solution. Google and Amazon have both invested big in modular housing companies, which is why people like Ryan think they could succeed this time. I think you finally have people who have the purse strings and have the wherewithal to make it happen paying attention. And that's going to make a a big difference in, in, in moving the needle here. But there are still some big challenges ahead. The construction industry is a trillion dollar business that's stuck in its ways, and it's been slow to embrace prefab building. And labor unions are a powerful force. They worry that factory-built homes will mean fewer jobs and lower wages for skilled workers. So Factory OS had one solution. It unionized its workforce. It's pretty smart. Work with the labor unions right from the beginning. That didn't happen across the United States when we started moving more and more into factory-built or prefabrication. One of the biggest challenges comes down to money. Normally, banks will loan money to developers bit by bit over the course of a project. But with prefab, you need most of the financing at the beginning to run the factory and buy the materials before you even start building. When you get a factory involved, they need upfront cash to get that line going. And so that has been a major barrier. Some banks have been open to this idea, but it's that tech money that's really gotten things going. A large order from Google helped get Factory OS off the ground. The company needed 300 apartment units to house its employees near the campus in Mountain View. And now, Google's helping them open a new factory. It'll double their capacity to 4,000 apartments next year. But the project that Rick's most excited about is the one that got him thinking about Modular in the first place. They're actually placing the units as we speak. I just got a digital photo. Of the, uh, of the units going in place. It's a four-story modular apartment building in downtown Truckee. It'll be 77 affordable apartments, and the cheapest will go for about $500 a month. It'll allow local workers to afford to stay in Truckee, yet another place where the rent has gotten too damn high. 
This is the first part of the Truckee project Rick was ready to walk away from. So it's kind of full circle. It's just sort of bizarre. I mean, it was literally five years ago I was driving down the hill when I said to my business partner, I said, we're not going to do this if we build it somewhere else and bring it up here. I had no idea it would be me that would actually build it and bring it up the hill. Modular housing is only 3% of new buildings in the U.S., but it's growing. And it could be one way to help us out of our housing shortage. To really get at that shortage, we'll have to innovate in ways that go beyond modular and even reimagine the types of spaces that we live in, like backyard cottages or co-housing. Think dorms for adults. Because the old way of building, it isn't working anymore. It's too expensive and it takes too long. And we need to change that if we want enough homes for everyone. With Modular, we've been reimagining the way we build. But next time on Sold Out, we'll be reimagining where we live, our neighborhoods. And we'll be talking about an idea that's stirring up a lot of controversy. All of our children would love to someday live near their parent. This is such a radical departure from what we have. This will change the fabric of California. If you like what you've heard so far, make sure you subscribe to Sold Out on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps the show get noticed. You can also follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter. I'm at Solomon Out. And I'm at E underscore Baldi. That's E underscore B-A-L-D-I. And if you like the story of Factory OS, it was featured in a book called Golden Gates, Fighting for Housing in America by Connor Doherty. It's got lots of stories of people who are trying to do something about the Bay Area's housing crisis, and it's a good read. Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America is a production of KQED Public Media. Erica Kelly is our editor. Jessica Platchek and Kiana Mokadam helped produce this episode. Sound engineering and original music by Rob Spate. Our editorial leadership team at KQED includes Erica Aguilar, Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Aaron Baldessari. And I'm Molly Solomon. <laughs> 